Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening, and today we're talking about why you need to stop saving heirloom seeds and move to a more resilient garden. And I may have made you fall off your seat with that statement, but what if there is a better way to grow food that is incredibly delicious to eat and grows really well in the garden? Would you trade in growing only heirloom varieties in a garden if you could have a garden that thrives the way that you want to garden and grow, like one that produces a harvest no matter what the weather, no matter what happens in the garden? I'd really like to know, like, would you trade in growing only heirloom varieties for a garden that would thrive and produce a harvest no matter what? Let me know in the Facebook group and you can click the link in the podcast description to join the Facebook group. Just make sure that you fill out all the questions um, so my team know to let you in. Um, but yeah, would would you trade in? Only, you know, if, if you were only growing heirloom varieties, would you trade all that in for a garden that produces no matter, no matter what? And, you know, I've got a lot of heirloom plants that I grow in my garden. And if anybody was to take a look at the several totes of seeds, um, I know we've talked before that I have a little bit of a seed saving problem, um, but I have a lot of different seed varieties and I would say probably 80% of them are heirloom varieties. And, you know, I get it, like most of the gardeners, you know, there's lots of different varieties there and there's so many to try. Um, so many to try and not enough garden space, right? Let me know in the Facebook group if that's a problem for you too. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I would really like to, to hear from you as to you know what what would you trade to have a garden that's going to produce consistently um in you know your own backyard and um you know just some food for thought whilst that's mulling around right if you could have a garden that did produce no matter what pests came along no matter whether you had like really dry hot summers or if you had a super cold and wet spring like if there was going to be plants that would consistently produce that is tasty um tasty delicious food for you your family and even your community So whilst that's mulling around in the back of your mind and you're contemplating on whether or not you would do that, um, let's first establish some common seed growing and seed saving terms, um, just so we're all on the same page. So let's first of all talk about what an heirloom is. Okay, an heirloom plant variety is one that has been grown and maintained by only breeding with other plants of the same variety for many years, usually more than 50 years. They often have a story attached to them about how they were found or discovered or even grown. Um, These seeds may also have been passed down through a family. Um, Heirloom plants can be difficult to grow in a garden. Um, You know, please let me know if if that's um, an issue that you run into as well. It certainly is in in my garden. Um, Heirloom plants often need more support from me as a gardener, right? They need a bit more caring. I feel like I'm an overbearing mother to them sometimes. Um, they, They need more vigilant checks for pests and diseases and sometimes they even need more inputs to grow like they need a lot more compost um, or an organic fertilizer application to have them to a point where they're producing well. 
Um, open pollinated is another term that you will see a lot when it comes to seeds and uh, what that means is these varieties of plants will grow true to type so that means that the plants that you will grow they look like the parent plants that you save the seed from um, pollen is shared between plants of the same variety and if this sounds like an heirloom it's because heirloom plants are also open pollinated the difference is that for an heirloom that the variety has been kept for longer than 50 years you can have open pollinated plant varieties that are not heirlooms but you can't have an heirloom without it being open pollinated if that makes sense okay let's talk about hybrids this is often a point where um, fights start out amongst um, gardeners uh, usually around you know growing hybrids or not growing hybrids but let's talk about what a hybrid plant is because it is not gmo Okay, it is not genetically modified by using, um, you know, methods that are like way beyond me and I've got background in chemistry, um, but they, they are very specific. Um, DNA is modified on a genetic level, um, which is very different to hybrids. Commercial hybrids are created with like classic plant breeding um, techniques where they are pollinating, the cross-pollinating between them. Um, but commercial hybrids are created when two highly inbred parents have the pollen shared between them to produce the seeds. So these type of commercial hybrids, they may have patents on them. They may have statements like PVP or plant variety protection. Um, that is a an act here in the US. Um, or, you know, the creation of a hybrid is proprietary information for the seed company or the plant breeder and um, you often see these varieties as f1 hybrids um, as they are listed in seed catalogs or on the stand in the big box store like just check out your seed packets right most of the time they will say if it is an f1 or a hybrid on there um, if it says something like a pvp um, then that's probably also a hybrid as well now commercial hybrids of broccoli cabbage kale cauliflower turnips, parsnips, rutabaga, also known as Swede, uh, if you're English, um, radish, onion, carrots, beets, lettuce, even sunflowers have what's known as cytoplasmic male sterility. These have been bred not to produce pollen and pollen comes from the male plant parts and these plants cannot self-pollinate so when they're um, doing these kind of breeding activities from the the seed breeder or the plant uh, well the plant breeder and the seed company get my words right um, you know it's it's an easy way for them to be able to control where pollen's coming from because if you are producing um, plants that are male sterile they can't be accidentally self-pollinated so you know that the pollen that's being introduced to that plant is going to form you know successful pollination or what's known as a cross right so what happens is um, the offspring that's produced from these hybrids um, that have this cytoplasmic male sterility they're missing anthers which produce pollen so these plants are permanently sterile if you are producing, you know, hybrids for, you know, this kind of commercial activity, then that's a really beneficial thing to have. Just as I mentioned, it helps you control like where the pollen's coming from for those um, crosses and, you know, the pollination that is happening. But in 
you know, a garden kind of activity where you're wanting to have a more self-reliant um, way to garden, that's not a trait that you are going to want in there because you need that pollen to be able to move freely around your plants to help improve diversity. So one of the questions you might be asking is, how are the inbred parents made? And basically the inbred parents are made by selecting plants of the same variety, which show the traits that the plant breeder or the seed company are looking for. And then these plants of the same variety are pollinated or crossed with each other over and over again, right? They, they kind of keep the lines very, very tight. Um, you know, they're often, you know, like, redoing it between like the parent and and the child of the seeds not of people um you know to to help kind of make those traits very prominent right those recessive traits they want those to be expressed so they can see them and then use them in other breeding projects now you might be thinking well, that inbreeding sounds a little bit like what heirlooms or even open pollinated are doing, and you would be correct, right? Hybrids have what is known as hybrid vigor, and it appears as this strong, fast growth. And it really means that the hybrid plant is growing better than the inbred parent plants. And uh, you might have seen this in your own garden if you've saved seeds and planted it again. Your saved seeds grow better than the seeds of the parent varieties. And this is more likely to be coming from the sharing of genetics from the pollination of different plant varieties. It's starting to reverse inbreeding depression. So let's talk about what inbreeding depression is. This is quite the lesson this morning. Sorry about that. Um, Problems like loss of growth, spindly plants, more susceptible to pests, more issues with diseases, fewer seeds being produced because the plants are not as fertile. You might see fewer fruits, right? Lower yields, fewer flowers, right? They're all indicators of plants not being as fertile. You might also see low germination rates. These are all signs of inbreeding depression and they are not uncommon for heirlooms. And this problem occurs when plants are too inbred, right? They have low genetic variation ability because the plants are pollinating with other plants that are too closely related right I talked about um how parents and and child in plants are kind of bred with with each other to help get them to be super inbred for the um hybrid um, industry and you know this inbreeding depression also happens when plants are too genetically similar the plants are not sharing enough pollen with enough plants also known as the population size right for healthy plants you need diversity you need a bigger gene pool and that helps like stop some of the the issues um, of inbreeding depression right the these plants being more susceptible to pests and diseases and having lower yields, right? This, these are all issues and we don't want these issues if we're trying to have a more resilient and more self-reliant garden. So why would we want to be moving away from saving heirloom seeds? Let me start off that heirlooms are culturally important to maintain, right? They're living history and they should form part of your seed collection. But... 
If you're wanting to grow a resilient garden that's going to provide for you, your family, even your community, no matter how the weather is beating down on your garden or the pests that are coming through your yard, you really need to look at another way to garden. And if you want to have a slightly more hands-off approach to gardening, which in a a really busy homesteader's um, lifestyle, especially if you're working full-time as well, this this starts to become like really, really interesting very quickly. Um, Because if you're wanting to have more hands-off approach to your gardening, you can really home in on low inputs like no fertilizers, no pesticides, or maybe low irrigation because you're living somewhere where you don't have a lot of water anyway um, or it's difficult to get it to your garden then you should really consider land race gardening so what is a land race well plants are genetically diverse they're freely pollinating and they're locally adapted you don't need special seed saving equipment to prevent pollination from other plant varieties or anything like that because you want them to pollinate with the different plant varieties that's one of the key things um, for this type of gardening you want that genetic diversity and that comes with pollination from different plant varieties. Land race varieties are made by a survival of the fittest and gardener preference for seed saving and selection. So basically, if it grows well in your garden without you having to coddle it growing like a neurotic parent, you like how it tastes, then you save the seeds from those plants to plant again in your garden the following season. That next season, you do the same thing again. Each season that you do this, your plants home in on how you garden and how you want them to taste. And this is the basics of plant breeding and how the heirlooms of today were selected and maintained all those years ago. And this is really like a right for humanity humanity to be able to grow food and save seeds to grow again without all this like weird and wonderful stuff that you know is happening on you know the the industry of food production on a larger scale if you're wanting to really manage this small scale for you your family your neighbors right having this type of garden this land race garden is going to be so much better for you and um, the people that you are serving by growing this food right this type of gardening is where you start to have the the genetic robustness to be able to combat like well this year we've got an incredibly hot um, summer and we've got really low water levels. Um, this is exactly what's been happening in Utah, by the way, of we've got really low water levels in the reservoirs. A lot of people's um, irrigation systems have been cut off and plants have been struggling. But the ones that have still been growing without struggling well, those ones you want to be saving seeds from because that is already being built into those seeds that are going to be produced by that plant. Okay, that plant is passing on those genetic information, that those markers for the next generation to be able to cope with those more drought tolerant um, conditions. Same could be said for other plants that, you know, are being ravaged by um, pests and things. You know, those that are not really being picked off by the pests 
hmm, wonder why that is. Maybe we should save some of those seeds and see if the same thing happens the follow, following year. Landrace gardening is a really beautiful ongoing experiment in the garden that you can absolutely do on a small scale. So the premise is dead easy, right? You sow some seeds and the ones that you really like how they taste, they grow really well to how you garden, you save the seeds from those. Um, if they are struggling or um, they die off completely, that is perfectly okay because you don't want to be adding that kind of genetics into the plants that you're going to want to save the seed from, right? If there's anything that is happening in those plants that you do not want in the next generation of plants, it's okay to not allow it to, um, you know, produce the the flowers and the pollen so it can mix with your other plants and that's one of the nice things about land race gardening too is you don't need to be worrying about well I've got to grow this plant you know so many feet away from from this variety so they don't cross with each other so I can keep keep growing you know this this one variety you can have like closer together spacings of plants um, although you want to maintain some distance for proper airflow and things to kind of reduce pests and diseases but you can have things growing much more closer together things are going to be crossing you know at some point even plants that don't readily cross pollinate, like beans are a great example and because of how their flowers are formed they don't readily cross pollinate with one another but occasionally they do and having you know the bees coming through and those those wasps and you know even flies butterflies hummingbirds like i've got runner beans and every year like that those grow i always see hummingbirds on them um but those you know insects that are helping to share that pollen you're going to get some randomly pollinated um, bean seeds that, that you'll see as you're going through your seeds and then you're starting to kind of pull things together for seed saving ones that look unusual and stuff you should totally put those to one side and grow them again the following season and see if they grow any better and you know having this open you know pollination this free movement of um of pollen in your garden oh my gosh i'm making it sound like some hippie commune um but <laughs> but that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm saying is you, is you want this natural free movement of of pollen between the plants because it's these crosses that are happening naturally within your garden and then saving those seeds and replanting them all again this is where you're going to start building up the resilience to the growing conditions and how things happen in your garden, right? Another gardener might grow completely differently from you. You might be one of those gardeners who just kind of puts it in the ground, gives it some water, and then once it's sprouted, it's on its own, right? It, if it can grow and fend off, you know, all that nature has to throw at it, it's going to be a pretty tough cookie, right? And, you know, that, that might be how you garden. But your gardener next door might be one who's very much, you know, sort of carefully watering it every couple of days. They're checking for, you know, the, the slugs or the snakes coming along and if they see 
issues with that then they're going to go ahead and you know they're going to treat with some you know maybe some organic slug pellets or something right they're going to keep protecting that plant and you know maybe after it's been growing for four weeks they're adding some organic fertilizer to that plant to help it keep growing right the seeds from their garden are going to be very different in terms of you know their resilience from the garden where you're very much kind of I'm just planting it and letting it do its thing if it grows it grows you know it grows it's all good so there's those kind of aspects which are then passed on genetically to the seeds that you are saving but you as a gardener have you know an element of control in the seeds that you are going to be saving right you can absolutely be tasting all the veggies right and you can mark the ones that you really like so let's say for lettuce right there's there's lettuce that we want to be seed saving from right let's say we've got a couple of different heirlooms and we really like um some of these but there's a particular plant in each of these varieties that tastes really really good to you um you maybe like mark them with a bit of ribbon or some colored string or something like i've got tons of yarn and i can't tell you how many times i end up using that out in the garden to mark things that i'm going to be seed saving from um but having kind of a marker to say okay these are the ones that taste really good don't harvest it completely out of the ground like if it's something like lettuce you could harvest a few leaves here and there but then when that bolts and goes to seed you've already marked it that you want to be saving seeds from these plants so you can go ahead and save the seeds from those plants and then those plants are basically being selected by you as the gardener for taste and the more that you start to select things for taste the more that that is going to become prominent in your garden you're going to be creating a garden that grows to how you want things to taste now one of the things like my husband and I were talking about as we start our moving journey to our new homestead um you know one of the things that we were talking about is what are some of the plants that are really important to us that we really like to grow and one of the things that really struck us recently is a couple of melons that um I grew and we were saying you know just generally like how much more tasty food out of the garden is because it's it's fresher in things like versus you know the grocery store where things have had to you know they've been selected to be able to you know ship long distances without spoiling right they've been selected for things like storage rather than flavor well these two melons that i grew oh my goodness very very different in their flavor and in their texture like one had this kind of almost sort of spiciness to it like earthy kind of spices kind of like um nutmeg almost right kind of those kind of like flavors it was soft it had you know kind of this very sort of deep kind of spiciness to it whereas this other melon that we grew had all of these like really fresh vibrant melon flavors to it they were very very different in how they they tasted and one of the things that i i've been trying to do this year in the garden because we we knew that we wanted to move anyway 
was kind of allow things to have a lot more of this kind of free pollination aspect to it. So I've saved seeds from both of these melons that we tasted because they were amazing. And my husband had a preference over one than the other. But here's the exciting bit. When we get to our new homestead and I've got the garden beds and stuff all figured out, I've got three acres, so I've somehow got to figure out like where everything's going to be on there so um heads up coming um the back end of this year and into next year is going to be all about setting up your garden from scratch um we're going to be figuring out how to really get onto um videoing that so you can see it step by step um and it's sometimes also nice to put a face to a voice right for a podcast um so you guys can check that out but you know from, from the melon perspective right we've got these two separate fruits that we've saved seeds from we could absolutely combine them all together you know once they're dry in a jar and then start planting these different um seeds and seeing what comes out those that we absolutely love the taste of we can save those melon seeds and really start to develop a flavor profile that is really truly loved by you know, my family. And, you know, even my stepson, he's really not that keen on eating melons, but he actually really enjoyed those ones that were fresh out of the garden. So definitely uh, something that I want to kind of hone in on a lot more um, when we get to our new place. And you can do the same thing and, um, you know, start to kind of really, you know, develop some of these flavors that your family love i mean if you've got kids that are not overly keen on eating carrots or whatever um you know maybe start with growing some different varieties of carrots and ones that they really like and if there's um ones that you are really quite enjoying um and the kids really liked those um save the tops of those carrots and start getting them to sprout again because they will you can get them to to grow again from the tops there's plenty of things on uh, the internet on how to how to do those and then you can plant them somewhere where you can overwinter them because carrots will flower in the second year and then you can start saving seeds from those i know it's a little bit daunting with biennials those are the plants that will flower the second year so maybe start um your land race gardening or having a more resilient garden by doing some of this free pollination stuff like having that um start with easier crops so things like squashes or melons right things that um are easy for you to be able to taste and save the seed from and then as you start to get some success with those and you get more comfortable with um growing and saving seeds anyway you can start to expand a little bit more so i hope you found this episode helpful please let me know in the facebook group whether you would give up a garden of only growing heirloom varieties for a garden that thrives to the way that you garden i would really love to know and uh, in the next episode we're going to be talking a little bit about how you can really start to uh, get started in growing a land race and a more resilient garden so i hope that you have a wonderful week and i hope your garden grows beautifully and i will see you all next week